But here we are at the end of the year. And what's fascinated me of recent times is people I talk to in all walks of life, doesn't matter where they come from, what their deal is, what they've got going on, or what car they drive, everyone's sick of this year. Everyone's had enough of 2022. It's like, this is the worst year of my life. How many times have I heard that? And everyone's just done with it. And this desperation to sort of get over the brow into 2023, because the general feeling, I think, is, well, it can't be any worse. And so everyone is that I've spoke to, you know, without even asking them, it's sort of the, the theme's the same. They've had enough of, of, of this year. It's certainly been a year of change, hasn't it? <clears throat> There's been, been lives that have been upended. Uh, others have been barely affected. Uh, it's, a, it's a year that's produced a lot of divided groups. And, and my thoughts today were just to sort of have a, uh, a, a, bit, a bit like, uh, you know, a rabbit putting its head up out of the hole and looking around. That's sort of the idea today, just to sort of look around the, what's happening in the world today and, 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 and kind of set, set our, our course, as it were, for, for the year ahead. So as we sort of look around us and, and look what this year has, has looked like, uh, you know, there's been a lot of... A lot of drama, there's been a lot of divided groups, there's been families, there's been friends, there's been work, um, environments, there's been communities, both secular and Christian, that have all been affected in various ways. But on the positive note, this year has also seen the strengthening of relationships for those who have, as it were, sailed together through stormy seas. When you look at the world in a, you know, the global um, kind of view, it's kind of precarious, isn't it? The world is in a precarious position right now. If we go back to the beginning of the pandemic, and you know, it, we're almost three years ago. Man, it sort of sure feels like it, doesn't it? Uh, three years or 30 years, I don't know, but it, it's just sort of three years ago almost uh, is when the, 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 the whole drama of this craziness started. Amid all the lockdowns and etc., all that we saw, <clears throat> that we experienced, we saw the Reserve Bank and similar entities around the world. It wasn't just our, our country. The first thing we noticed, they dropped interest rates, didn't they? The record lows. And then they started printing money. Anyone with any half a, a, a you know, anyone who's just functioning would know that there's strife coming. Uh, this is not going to end well. There's going to be, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. We know that. And it's going to be paid for at some point. And so, of course, the idea was to stimulate spending in order to keep things going, keep all the money going around in circles and everything moving. And, of course, with all the extra costs associated with, with life in general, it was obvious things were going to be circulating at another level. Uh, costs are going to go up, wages are going to go up, costs are going to go up, wages are going to go up. And costs are going to go up some more. <clears throat> the more you're earning, the less you're buying. Because of the old enemy inflation. And so, uh, you know, everyone's, everyone's shocked in inflation, you know, and suddenly it's all gone up. And now interest rates have gone from, you know, 0.5 to 5 or 6 or 7%. Anyone with the hair the colour of mine would know that you go back far enough, people were paying 20% interest. If you're only paying 8% interest now, <laughs> consider yourself lucky. And so all this stuff is happening around us, the Reserve Bank and, and all its other global partners, 
you know, they take out the biggest, bluntest tool that they have in their toolbox and, and raise interest rates to slow down spending. Because, hey, that's the spending that they've, up to this point, been trying to encourage everyone else to do. And so the result of all this is, is a talk of recession and how bad are things, are things going to be. Uh, and all this produces fear of what's ahead, doesn't it? Fear of the unknown. How bad is it going to get seems to be the subject of the day. Now I'll lay that on top of an already fractured world and life is exciting, isn't it? <laughs> no doubt about that. The other thing that's been going on for most of the year has been the war in Ukraine. <clears throat> there are those who are directly impacted by the, by the war, regardless of who's right or wrong or whatever. At the end of the day, war is usually about someone's got something that someone else wants. So you're going to blow you to bits to try and get it. Uh, whatever the case might be, there are those who are directly impacted in the war zone. Lives have been, you know, destroyed. Families uh, and, and, and the rest of it, you know, the, the um, ramifications are immense. Uh, the rest of the world's been affected in various ways. Reduction in grain supply being one. That's partly why you're paying more for eggs. There's another whole thing, reason as well, but part of it is because of the cost of grain going up. And so the discussion and, and fear about how this might escalate also into World War III is certainly on the lips of many people. What if there's some kind of nuclear exchange? The world's got enough nuclear arms in stock, to, some of them held by rather unstable governments, that you know, there's enough there to blow us all to bits. If there is going to be a nuclear war, just pray that the bomb drops right on your house. <laughs> you won't know a thing about it, you know. You don't want it dropping down the road 10 miles. Uh, <laughs> it might as well just go uh, and lights out. Now, if that's not enough, you know, there's the ongoing view regarding the, the overreach of the government, uh, and not just our government, but globally, and what that has done to society and to the well-being of, of individuals. Many are looking for a change of government to fix all the problems, Uh, good luck on that one. <laughs> Many are looking for a political movement or some other such thing to, to kind of right all the wrongs or a person they can rally behind. The stage is being set for a world leader who will have all this, will have all the answers and will usher in a, a relative time of peace and pro prosperity for sure. But there, will, there may be relief ahead at that time, but there will be no real peace until the Prince of Peace returns. We need to be clear on that. There's been a lot of radicalisation in certain areas of society. It's certainly a great time to be alive, isn't it? Life is not for the faint-hearted. But everything I've just mentioned is really chicken feed, really, to the greater scheme of what Scripture lays out regarding end times and what's ahead. And there's a lot of attention given to the subject at the moment, <clears throat> and rightly so. It's something to keep in front of us and keep be aware of. It's important to keep things in perspective though and the events and conditions of the day as relating to what scripture reveals. And so now as we're on the brink of a new year, a few hours time, you can write 2022 and then scratch that out and put 23 because how long does it take to finally get into the get into the groove of that, you know. But anyway, a few hours time we're, we're technically in, into a new year. It's an opportune time to check our course, as it were, 
to trim ourselves and to make sure that things are in order relative to the conditions that we're sailing in. And thinking about this, as I was contemplating all of this, of course, is, is the favourite chapter in Matthew 24. Uh, Jesus had been speaking to his disciples about the destruction of the temple and, and responding to their questions about when they said, well, when will these things be and what will be, or when will be the end of the age? And so uh, Matthew 24, we'll, we'll read a few verses from here. It's, it's not necessarily a... Uh, an exposition of this chapter, but we're just sort of touching on a few points. And we get to verse 4 of chapter of Matthew 24, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. That's the first thing we need to be, be clear on. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Now, Jesus said the temple would be destroyed, and it was logical that the disciples, they wanted to know when this would happen. Herod, Herod had spent you know, many, many years rebuilding it and it was only barely even finished. It wasn't even quite finished then. And now it's going to be destroyed. Well, when's this going to happen? You know, that would be the first thing we would say, surely. Now, Matthew doesn't record Jesus' answer to the first question because <clears throat> there's kind of two questions here. Uh, Luke does talk about that in chapter 21. But the disciples probably thought that they asked only one question. And in their minds, the destruction of the temple and the end of the age we're probably all tied together. <clears throat> but really they ask these two questions and the second question is answered in the remainder of this chapter. And so Jesus answers this question, the second question, and he will make many specific comments and predictions about what we call the end times. There's this fancy word that, that's rolled out called eschatology. You can, you can you know, reserve that for you know, places where you want to impress people. But it's just really a study of the end times. And Jesus is going to make many comments about this. These predictions that have been the source of tremendous disagreement <laughs> among Christians who have sought to understand them or sought to have cracked it. Now this is how it's going to be. Why didn't Jesus simply say it so clearly that there was no possibility of any other alternative view well, one may be because God wants every age to have reasons to be ready for Jesus' return we should not think of Jesus' return necessarily as an event far off on a timeline but something that we're sort of running parallel with uh, you know, for a long time, maybe since the day of Pentecost even others have suggested that God's intention was to keep the future somewhat vague to confound the devil even as the, res the, the resurrection of the Messiah was, was, was clear and hinted at, but, but perhaps somewhat vague as to when uh, throughout the Old Testament. And though some prophetic interpretations are different, we are sure of this thing. Whatever you, wherever you sit on all of this, this is the thing that we must be sure of, that he is coming again. And we must be ready. That's all through Scripture. It's true that through the ages many men have come claiming to be the saviour of the world. It's true that these men have deceived many people. There are those today who have large followings who claim to be the Messiah. Uh, it's a claim that's been made by, by many groups, many cultic groups. The children of God, led by David Berg, uh, claim to be the Messiah. What about Sonyak Moon, the Moonies? 
Uh, same thing, claiming to be the Messiah. Now, as crazy as it sounds, here's a new one. There are those who do believe who call Donald Trump the orange Messiah. <laughs> I kid you not. Jesus said, don't let any man deceive you. You're going to hear of wars and rumours of wars. Hey, don't be troubled. For all of these things must come to pass. But Jesus said in, in verse 6, but the end is not yet. You see, wars and rumours of wars, well, since the time of Christ, it's been said that there's something like 13 years of war to every one year of peace. Now, there's wars going on all the time. We don't sort of hear of them all the time, but that's the reality. Now, the fact that there is going to be a war and the fact that there is a war going on in Ukraine also it is no real sign of its own. The kind of things Jesus mentioned in this section are not the things that are specific signs of the end. Things like false messiahs, wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes have certainly marked man's history since the time of Jesus. But we're not specific signs of the end. In effect, Jesus says catastrophes will happen but these will not signal the end. And he continues on to say in verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. Now, these all constitute signs of his return. You know, world wars, hey, there's been a couple of them. Uh, famines, uh, you know, there's, it's been estimated something like 15 million People die annually of diseases relating to famine or malnutrition. Pestilences, viruses, earthquakes in diverse places. Hey, there was an earthquake Thursday centred in Waitoa. Waitoa, the centre of the Matamata Piako district. Who's ever heard of an earthquake happening there? Not even the geotech people or the people who do this kind of thing. Like, what? An earthquake there? And surely that is a diverse place. In the midst of any great war or any great famine or any great earthquake, it's natural to believe that the world is coming to an end. There was an interesting uh, testimony article of a, of a guy back in 9-11. Right, you know what I'm talking about? Those of younger generation, 9-11. There it is, the, the, the Twin Towers are uh, you know, destroyed, all that's going on. The place is just a bombsite. There was a fellow who was, ran a pub there. And, and when all this happened, and, and it was just sort of debris blowing down the streets, he opened the doors of his pub and he, and he put out a sign and said, come on, drinks are free, the end of the world is here. Now, it probably felt like that to him. For many people, probably, hey, the churches in America, from what I believe, were full of people the next Sunday. Oh, suddenly it's the end of the world. We better get right with God, you know? It's like... Well, the end of the world is coming, but it wasn't necessarily at that time. But it felt like it for those who were caught up right in the midst of it. But Jesus says there is a far more specific sign that is coming. All these are the beginning of sorrows we read. And though none of these events are the specific sign of the end of the age, collectively they are a sign. When Jesus described these uh, events, these calamities, as the beginning of sorrows, he called them the beginning of labour pains. Just as is true with 
the labour pains that every mother here has experienced. We should expect that things mentioned, wars, famines, earthquakes and so on, would become more frequent, more intense before the return of Christ. And so now they're going to deliver you up, it says, to be afflicted, they will kill you and you will be hated by nations for my name's sake, verse 9. And surely the disciples, as we know, all of them were martyred with the exception of John. Read through the, the accounts, read through Vox's Book of Martyrs. The death and the manner of, of the disciples, it would look, uh, what it looked like will give you certainly appreciation <clears throat> of the heritage that we have, all have. The price that was paid. Many shall be offended, verse 10. Many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another, and many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. There will be false messiahs. There will be false prophets. There will be the, the rising and, of, of people who will deceive others. You know, false prophets, well, you know, there's been an explosion of those out of the woodwork in the last couple of years. Catching on to the fear that people have and, and all those terrible things that are going to happen and, and the prophecies that have been, been given about everything's going to fall apart uh, next week or whatever. Uh, this, there's just the place is awash with, with prophets, false, I believe, most of them uh, at this time. And those false prophets find a ready audience made up of those who haven't heeded Jesus' advice back and forth. See that no one deceives you. In verse 12, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And so we're living in a time, aren't we, of lawlessness abounding. You know, it's, it's just sort of crazy stuff going on all the time around us. The result of this abounding uh, lawlessness, as described here, is that the love of many will grow cold for the things of the Lord. It's almost like, well, what's the point? You can see that sort of attitude that some people develop. What does Jesus say, verse 13? But he who endures to the end shall be saved. To put that sort of in, in, a, in, in a nutshell, basically saying, hey, hold the course. Remain in that place. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to, to all the world for a witness. And then the end will come, verse 14. And so Jesus promised that before the end, the gospel will go out to the world, the persecution, the false prophets, the general downgrade of society will not prevent the spread of the gospel. That's the awesome thing. You know, we have <coughs> limitations and, 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 and boundaries can be put on certain things. I mean, China is locking down pretty hard. Uh, <coughs> but God has all sorts of ways of... of getting the message out, you know, that there's also all, all sorts of ways that have been invented by man that can be used for good through, you know, the cyber world and, uh, you know, how many times were, were, were um, um, barges full of Bibles, you know, sunk off the coast of China and all these Bibles were just distributed. There's all sorts of practical ways uh, that the word has gone out. But we get back to Revelation 14 and we read that Basically, God says it will take, he will take care of it. 
I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who have dwelt on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. The message will, will go out. Um, ultimately, God will see to it. Now Jesus describes the sign of his coming, and he says this, verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Uh, let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And so Jesus makes reference here to this strange event called the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke about now everyone should be well aware of what that is because he says whoever reads let him understand so first thing understanding the abomination of desolation that Daniel is speaking about is, is one of the key uh, points that's being made here it's, it's spoken about back in the ninth chapter of Daniel <clears throat> where Daniel, the angel declares to Daniel a period of time given to the nation Israel 77s uh, and, and that would be a period of time that, that would basically uh, capture the life of Israel to, to uh, ultimately end, end up with uh, bringing in uh, God's kingdom. But at a certain point that will be cut short. The Messiah will be cut off and, and there will be one seven period of seven years left. And, and it continued on, the angel said the Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. We mentioned that last week, the Messiah was cut off not for himself, but his life was given for mankind. His life was given and sacrificed as the payment for sin. The angel also said the people will be dispersed, and so the prediction of the Jewish nation being dispersed after that period of time is now history he went on to say that the prince of, of the people that shall come would be a leader of this final world empire he's called by different names the son of perdition, the man of sin, the beast or several different names in scriptures commonly called the antichrist just about every one significant person in, in history at some point is sort of hey, this is the Antichrist, you know, it's, it's a continual um, invention that, that be, is put out there by people wanting to, you know, put a name on the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will come. Who is that person? Well, that person will be identified in due, <coughs> in due course. Now, the Antichrist will make a covenant, as, as we've studied, with the nation Israel, and through this covenant, he will be hailed as the Messiah. The Jews are looking to that. They will, they will acknowledge the person who, who, who makes this covenant and enables them to build the temple will be their Messiah. And no doubt that will be a part of the covenant that is made. It's part of the agreement. So he makes this covenant with the nation of Israel in the midst of that seven-year period. And after three and a half years, he breaks that covenant. He establishes or sets up the, what's known as the abomination which causes desolation. And of course what this is speaking about is when he himself will stand in the temple, which obviously has got to be rebuilt by then, and he will claim to be God. 
He will desire to be worshipped as God. Paul tells us in, in 2 Thessalonians that he will stand in the temple of God showing that he himself is God and demand to be worshipped as God. That is the description of the Antichrist and, and the one event that will happen when people will recognise, especially the nation of Israel, that, hey, we've been sucked in here. And Jesus said, when you see this, the abomination of desolation, then run. <laughs> He's speaking, of course, a different, a Jewish language here to, to, to the people of the day, according to the book of Revelation, the Antichrist, which is the beast, the man of sin, he's going to make war against Israel, and God will protect Israel. Uh, it would seem in, in, the, in the place of Petra. Isaiah 16 speaks about that. Speaking about Petra, open up your gates, receive my people. And so the abomination of desolation is all, all, of, all of that contained in that. It's when the, the Sandy Christ stands in the temple demanding to be worshipped. And this is the final straw of man's rebellion. And this is really what kicks off that great tribulation period, that last part of that seven-year period, where God's fury and the cup of indignation of his wrath will overflow, God's judgment will come down upon the Christ-rejecting world. <coughs> and that's the period known as the Great Tribulation, which will last 1,290 days. And it is given in great detail in the book of Revelation, beginning at chapter 6 and going all through to chapter 18. So if you want to know the things that will be happening there, then that's the place to look. God has spelled it out in great detail. You don't want to be there. And thank God you don't have to be, because God has not appointed us to wrath. That's his word to us. That's his word to his people. Of course, sometime before that, Happening is a strange event called the Harpazo uh, in Greek, or better known as the Rapture. A moment when every living believer in Christ, everyone who is truly born again, will be instantly in God's presence. And I believe we should be living with the understanding of Jesus' imminent return at every moment, at any moment for his church. I do hold the view that the rapture could happen at any point, that there was nothing needed to happen before that. And so if we, you know, with all that in mind, what's that got to do with life today? What are we to make of this and where are we at as we are about to turn the page into 2023 and, and what's, what's that, six, seven hours time? You know, the world is going the way predicted. That should not surprise us. What did you think living in the last days would look like? Would it be like a bed of roses? <laughs> it would look like exactly what it is when we look around us today. I remember going to the Auckland Museum and they had this thing, not museum, the zoo. <laughs> the museum is when they're dead, but the zoos, hopefully they're alive, right? And they had this thing, meerkats. You know what meerkats are? And so in the meerkat enclosure or whatever it is, they had these um, domes, plastic domes, 
and you could go around underneath and you could put your head up in this dome and look around and eye to eye with these meerkats. And, and it was always fun looking at, their, at them from outside because you'd see someone's face suddenly come up and looking around, you know. And, and, and it's, perhaps it just sort of reminded me of this, is that we put our head up and look around. What do you see? What you see is the world exactly as predicted. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Like the person who puts their head up in the meerkat enclosure, suddenly they're shocked that there's a meerkat there. Well, what are you doing in there? That's the whole idea of going in there, isn't it? To have a look at them. Well, if we look around us now, what we see is going on exactly as, as Scripture has predicted. Yeah, things are going to go out of shape. There's all sorts of weird stuff going to go on. I mean, you know, praise the Lord, every now and then someone shows up or there's a degree of sense or whatever and some law has changed or adapted and finally we think, well, maybe there is some hope, you know, there is some sense somewhere. But for the most part, it's degenerating uh, as the world moves further and further away. Uh, from anything that's remotely um, godly or Christ-like or biblical. But we're called to do what? Occupy until he comes. Now Jesus spoke this parable about the ten miners. It wasn't ten minor birds, it was, it was some, a monetary uh, um, a, a currency, ten miners, small coins, uh, and, and the idea the money was given to each, each uh, of, of these... Um, <coughs> Um, ten people and, 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 and um, entrusted into their lives. What are you going to do with it? And the thrust of that whole parable was to get on with business until the master comes. That's our call. To get on with the things that God has called you into, to get on with life, to get on with, 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 with the, uh, the following after Christ as he leads us all in the life that we have today. Get on with life, with the challenges presented to us. Keep in the love of God. Keep submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not rocket science. We don't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, analysing every bit of, little bit of movement that's happening around the world. There we go. Now, when Paul was meeting with the Ephesian elders, he mentioned how that ahead of them lay... Bed of roses, right? No, ahead of him lay chains and tribulations. And, and he said, Oh, what's all the fuss about? You know, ahead of me lays all these chains and tribulations. I know that people are telling me, uh, I'm, I'm well aware of that. And he summed it all up by saying, None of these things move me. He's saying, Hey, what's all the fuss about, guys? Let's just get on with living as followers of Christ. He went on to say that it was his goal to finish the race with joy and to continue to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He wasn't going to get sort of bent out of shape about all that was coming. He was going to use it as opportunities to speak of Christ. Paul and the disciples, they faced a fierce world of hatred to the gospel. But they didn't allow that to derail them or distract them from sharing the message of salvation through Christ. There were no doubt all sorts of movements they could have got involved with, but they didn't bother as they kept the highest priority was living in a way that testified of Jesus. Indeed, the world was really at a precarious moment at, at this time, isn't it? You know, the first persecution of the church, as, re, as recorded in Acts 4, 
the ruling Jewish council of the time, they got the disciples together and they forbade them from preaching the gospel. They're waving the big stick, hey, you're going to be in big trouble, you need to stop doing this. And as the interaction went on and they were listening to Peter and to John, so here's the ruling authority. They're saying you can't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they, they, they heard, heard the, the dialogue and, and talking about it and heard, heard John and, and Peter talking about why they were speaking of Christ. And they sum it up as they observed these two guys they realised that they had been with Jesus. Let's aim for that this year. Or next year. <laughs> Only got you know, seven hours left. Let's aim for that this, this new year, that we also would be found guilty of the accusation that we've been with Jesus. That we've been close to him. That his characteristics, his nature, uh, has rubbed off on us. If we get cut and, and, and we're, we're bleeding, may we, we bleed Jesus. You know there's a lot of fear and, and anxiety out there. And as Christians, though, we're just called to fear God. As I was thinking about this, and, and it's kind of where I started off at, <clears throat> finally got back to where, where, where I wanted to finish, in many ways there's a similarity with what's going on in the world today to what I... What, what happened in the 60s and 70s in the countercultural revolution. You see, the youth of that day, they had rejected all that sort of went before them. They wouldn't trust anyone over the age of 35. If you're over 35, you can't be trusted, you can't be believed. Can you imagine what that, that today? I don't know, maybe the youth, that's their, their thinking. But anyway, that was the case back then. There was also the very real threat of World War III that it could happen at any time. Hey, we might all be blown to bits tomorrow. We might all be dead. So it sort of created a, a whole different way of thinking in the population, especially the younger ones. The answer to those turbulent times is the same as the answer for today's fractured world. It's essentially get your life right with God and remain in the love of God. During that time of hopelessness back then, many people did find salvation and hope in Christ. Many were born again. And as all of that happened, of course, many songs were written. Many uh, uh, thoughts and experiences and testimonies were put into song in the best way people could to sort of express uh, what all this was about. And as Christine comes up and gets ready for this uh, last song, uh, there's one song in particular that keeps coming to mind as, as I was thinking about this, as I pondered this, as I prayed about this end of your message. And, and, and with this song, we will draw this time to a close. And, and as I believe it really does capture the heart and soul of this message and where to from here. The, the song is called Jesus is the Answer. It might be a step back in, in, in time for some. Others may never have heard it before. But the words start out with this. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. So I'm not going to read any more of the words out. I'll let them speak for themselves. But I do feel that, that as we enter into a new year, as we observe all the, 
the ongoing drama around the world and, and perhaps in our own lives and, and so on. Everything's changed, but in some ways nothing's changed. Because Jesus is still the answer. May we be more committed to Christ and, and the Lordship of his life this year than ever. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you that you indeed have provided the answer. As we conclude with the song, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you encourage? Would you strengthen? Would you invigorate us, Lord? Would you remind us of, of the truth that is established, that indeed Jesus is the answer? He is the one that you have provided for eternal life, but also in a way that will keep us balanced in the things of this day, to not become distracted or, 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 or overweighted on one side or another, but, Lord, to be balanced in the issues of life as you remain centre. And so, Lord, we ask now, speak as we sing this song together. In Jesus' name, amen.